Hello, Mike. Hello, Andrew. Welcome to the podcast, finally. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. It is great to have you on. Um, I was thinking the other day when we, when we were supposed to have like our quick meeting and it turned into two hours, I should just hit record <laughs> and then edit it out things that were personal and then have that be the first podcast because we basically ended up covering all of that uh, in, our, in our roundabout discussions as we do. Yeah, we tend to have short meetings, well, in, intended to be short meetings, but they always go longer, and I'm okay with that, because... Same. Same. Yeah. Same. We always end up talking about, um, we, we get the, this is the here and now out of the way, and then we, we talk about, like, this is what I tried and didn't, it didn't work, this is what I want to try, and this is what I want to make, and all that kind of stuff, which is, um, which is the main reason I'm really glad I found you, because you seem like a uh, type of character who's after like my own heart as the saying goes uh we seem very similar when very similar when it comes to um game development and game design i agree uh and i think that's a lot of why we mesh so well now is because even though you're more of a designer and i'm more of a developer we both go seem to go about things in similar ways and we both seem to want similar things we just need to take different ways to get there exactly and i don't even think our paths our paths are that different because no. um you basically when we we talked before you started programming when you were quite young right yeah um i was about i want to say 11 or 12 years old when i downloaded visualbasic.net from microsoft Wow. Um, yeah, my intention was to learn how to make Minecraft mods. And for some reason, I thought Visual Basic .NET was the language to go with. Oh, it, it was wow. That's that yeah. sounds so far. I have a friend of mine who was doing the same thing. I would have been I would have been in middle school when Minecraft like first started taking off. And he's like, dude, Minecraft's gonna be so cool. I'm going to make all these mods and then everyone's going to play it. It's gonna be great. That's so funny. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Um, eventually, I did end up making like not for release, but uh, just for my personal use, a couple of mods, mostly just recipe mods, you know. The dirt into diamond pickaxe, if you will. OK, OK, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Oh, that that reminds me of something that I want to do. Um, after we get off here, remind me that you mentioned that you like Minecraft mods and it'll remind me of the topic I want to go through. Um, awesome. You could probably figure it out, and an avid listener could probably figure it out. But anyways, um, so let's go into how I found you. Um, so I was a huge Yu-Gi-Oh fan, basically, my whole life. I still am a huge Yu-Gi-Oh fan. I just don't have time. Um, however, I wanted to play Duelist of the Roses, and I, could, I literally could not get my, um, my modded PlayStation 2 to work. So um, I was like, okay, well, maybe someone has remade the game because I really just want the experience of playing like card chess. And I actually came across Duels of the Roses. I would say this is about your Duels of the Roses remake. I would say it was like six or seven months ago, maybe, maybe less time than that. But it was, it was quite a bit ago. It was before this was even really established. I was still making Collision Gate at that point. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's great. I need to write this guy's name down and I never did. Oops. So I had to rediscover you when I was hire when I was trying to hire someone, which was it was great that I was able to. 
and you were also available at the time. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that really quick because that's the thing that makes you like almost overly qualified to make this game. Because in my opinion, Duels of the Roses is more complicated than um, Co Collision Gate is, which is neither here nor there. Uh, right. I think you mentioned something about that in one of your devlogs too that I've been listening to. Um, yeah, so like Duels of the Roses is more complicated. So go tell me about why you decided to do that and all that kind of stuff real quick. So, um, teaching myself Unity is really the root of all of this, and this all kind of stems kind of uh, about a year and a half before my first Duels of the Roses uh, video went up. Okay. Uh, um, I don't know why. I think the idea was uh, it was any PS2 game. It was, all right, let's take a PS2 game that I enjoyed playing growing up. This, in this case, it turned out to be Duels of the Roses. And I wanted to sit down and remake those mechanics as a learning exercise. And then it kind of spiraled down from there. It snowballed, so to speak, because then I, I have past coding experience. So it wasn't just figure out how to make these mechanics and then, okay, that's it, next tutorial. It was, okay, well, what am I going to do next? I can do this, and then I can do this, and then I can add fancy importers for all 800 cards, and then I can make generic card effects that are configurable to any card, and... Just I really just really take it to the next level. Exactly. And I would call it being extra, but in my opinion, in programming, development, game dev, anything like that, being extra is not a bad thing. I 100% agree. Um, so yeah, that, that's more or less what I did, uh, but we, we tackled the same game, but you did, you did the digital development on a really good version of it. And I was just like, let's take the whole, the old feeling and the old play style and just kind of make it future proof and go from there and try and make a game that has the idea that Yu-Gi-Oh started with, but eventually abandoned in, in my opinion um and move forward from there and i think that's exactly where you and i align on this because one if it if it wasn't Yu-Gi-Oh, because we're not just fans of Yu-Gi-Oh together we're also super fans of um fallout together and yep. we're also super fans of a couple other different franchises so a lot of our nerddoms and geekdoms lined up lined up too but the fact that we happen to be working on essentially the same project because you're making Yu-Gi-Oh chess and I'm making I'm trying to make the idea of Yu-Gi-Oh chess which is what Yu-Gi-Oh started as card game or chess with playing cards um yep. and I'm trying to reimagine that vision so it's it's basically like as the as the saying goes a match made in heaven um this is like obviously not to the same scale but like Pixar meeting with Disney and like that conversation kind of thing that's what it felt like it felt like that level of epicness but for my personal life when we uh, sat down and talked about this because me being a super fan of Yu-Gi-Oh and me being a super fan of Yu-Gi-Oh Duels of the Roses and Tyler is also I'm sure he wants to talk to you really badly too um, oh, that's awesome I'm excited to meet him yeah Tyler is a um is a super fan of Yu-Gi-Oh Duels of the Roses like he and I have been friends for six years maybe slightly less than that maybe slightly more I'm not quite sure and like he he and I met, we started talking, and one of the first things he ever told me was, hey, 
do you want to see my Yu-Gi-Oh tattoo? And he rolls up his sleeve and he's got he's got a um a Blackwings spell card tattooed on his arm. And I was like, oh, this guy's gonna be my best friend forever now. <laughs> nice, nice. That's a great way to introduce yourself, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. Um it, it's kind of like sometimes when I'm walking around with the company shirt on, people will ask me, like, what's that shirt? And then I get to be like, oh, well, this is a game I created. It's kind of like that's those are the best openings like oh i found something in common with you or i found something that you're wearing that's super interesting let's strike up a conversation i love those type of interactions i agree i agree with you there um but getting back to yeah, be, it being again. a match made in heaven i mean that is when i got your email because andrew reached out to me by email so i didn't even get to to really talk to him until i think it was might have almost been a week later. Yeah, we were we had to play uh, email tag because you were you were busy at the time and I was busy at the time. Um, but yeah, about a week later we actually spoke. Um, did I get you? Did I send you the podcast links uh, straight up so that way or right out of the way? Yeah. No, actually, when you reached out to me and contacted me, I did a little bit of googling on my own. Of course, I found the company website uh, and then I found the the podcasts from there and I watched. I think only about two episodes, but I listened to them while I was doing my morning routine and it was refreshing and it did make me feel more at ease that, okay, yeah, not only are you guys human, but you guys are humans with the same passions as me. Yeah. And that's really what I'm trying to build. Um, I've tried to make it very straightforward since the beginning. I don't care how much experience you have because that's, I don't care if you have 10 years of experience in something that to me is almost a red flag because that tells me that you either that tells me that two things that only happen to people that have been in an industry that long are possible now. Either you're stuck there because you can't think of anything else to do, or your passion for it is dying out. But when you meet someone who has your level of experience when it comes to, hey, I'm self-taught and I've been doing all of these different things to further that cause since I was young, um, and then also has the passion of like, I want to make really good games that people enjoy. It's pretty perfect. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the because yeah. I'm sure I've told you there, there were quite a few other people that I interviewed for the position, and I would say only one person met your passion, while only another person met your level of experience. And you happened to, and so there were two candidates beside you that I was considering, and they were one of them was for their passion, and one of them was mm -hmm. for their level of experience. And you have the same level of experience and passion as both of those people. And you understand the startup game. You understand what we're trying to do here. We're trying to make our mark. And um, yeah. your listening to your devlogs recently really shown me that. Because I'm, I'm always worried as the quote, as the, no, I'm gonna I said I was going to stop using quotes. I'm always worried as the CEO and the project manager that the people that I have on board don't have the level of passion for this project as they do for the idea of design altogether because right. those two things while they are both incredibly valuable things to have being dedicated and passionate about the thing that you're currently working on is so much more important and each one of you guys is that um because <clears throat> i know our first this is how collision gate works discussion was supposed to be like okay i'm going to show you the rule book and then you and I are going to talk and then we'll get off the phone. And we ended up talking about the concept of game design itself 
and how it relates to what we were making and the ideas that we wanted to implement into a completed project for I think like two and a half hours. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was, and I didn't even, it wasn't even like, oh man, this is dragging on and on and on because you know, I've definitely been in meetings like that. I, I will be completely honest, but this was not that at all. This was just like, we were, we were two friends talking about a topic we're passionate about game exactly. design and development. Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly how I feel when I talk to, to Matt or Ashley or Chris, um, Tyler and, and Josh too. They're all so passionate about making a great game. And Ashley is probably the most passionate when it comes to a character designer that I've personally met because that woman never stops working. She's a monster. She's a machine, whatever word you want to use. Um, but yeah, so That's off. I, always, I always make the statement where each and every single member of our team is irreplaceable. This, this is just something that implies just how important these two individuals are to me when it comes to the project. In my opinion... Collision couldn't exist without me because I came up with the idea. It, another company could be exactly what we are and somebody else could have that idea. It, absolutely. There are other crypto card games out there. However, um, Collision Gate is my baby and the art style that Collision Gate has formed despite the initial thesis of Collision Gate where it's a different universe, everything looks, this, looks different. The art style was created by Ashley. Because I straight, I told her when I hired her, um, I don't want you to try and make this look like Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering, or another card game. I want you to draw me your style. I want you to give me right. my art. I want you to give me my art style. I want you to give me a hundred percent on a sketch, and and show me what you believe this should look like. And then she did. She super impressed me with that. And then immediately from there, I told her I was like, okay. You, you are now in charge of how this looks. You, uh, I, told, I told her, basically, like, you don't have to tell everybody what to do. I don't, I'm not necessarily asking you to manage people or supervise. However, you, yeah. you direct the artistic vision from this point forward until you don't want to, or I find someone who we agree is better at this than you. And she, right. yeah, she's excellent. And the other person for, for this is you, because... If theoretically I could teach myself what I need to know to make this game. It's it's fairly rudimentary when you when you break it down. It will get more complicated as time goes on, but that's the whole point of a game that upgrade updates over time. Um you have time to learn those things, you have time to hire those people, you have time to build those funds. But someone who can actually ooh, hopefully that didn't show up. Thanks, Pizza Hut. Oops. <laughs> thanks. For, thanks, Pizza Hut. Hey, if you want to sponsor this podcast. Oh, yeah, for sure, though. Actually, like, I know you're a corporate business and all, but you're always been super straight up, Pizza Hut. I've worked for you technically. Um, let's go. Like, I, I will totally support your shitty, delicious food. Give me free stuff. As long as we get. Life. I was just going to say the same thing. As long as we get some stuffed crust on this podcast, we're good. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that reminds me. Um, Maybe this is a little too early, so I'll speak vaguely. Um, we are going to be sponsoring a podcast. Ooh, and I'm going to also exciting. be on that podcast um, here, in the, here in the near future. It's an NFT podcast. Um, I know uh, some, some yeah. of the listeners, you're probably, your eyes are glazing over, glazing over. 
NFTs are a very important part of our development. We're, we're trying to do it the economic way. We're trying to do it the eco-friendly way as well. Um, I, see, I see it as, an, as a potential avenue of not only profit for the company, but as an interesting idea that can be elevated to new standards. I believe that I've mentioned that a few times in the podcast, and I'm not going to go into it longer than this minute ramble. Um, but just in case, like, don't, don't glaze your eyes over. We, you'll, you have more information coming for NFTs if you want it. Feel free to ignore any part of the project that you're not interested at any time. That's the whole point of the... Moving on, sorry. All good. I, I was in a conversation with somebody who is only interested in this as a card game, uh, I want to say like two or three weeks ago, and I started talking about NFTs. And you could visibly hear their eyes glaze glaze over. They were just like, "No, okay. oh, that's the worst." And I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, dude. I I didn't want to bore you. Like, it's interesting to me. I know it's not interesting to everybody else, right?" So let's right. get back to the thing that you and I work on together, which is the um the digital card game version of Collision Game. Um, yes. yes. So longtime listeners and longtime quote unquote fans of me will know that I planned on developing the game personally, but that was more of an ego thing. I wanted to do it because it was my game. Um, but as CEO, I needed to learn everything that I learned anyways, because I needed to learn design structure and um, how Unity works and how C-sharp works with Unity, how Photon and stuff like that works. So I basically took a couple weeks off to research. And now that... Well, I, I say a couple weeks off to research, but I'm in from develop from de, from designing. Um, and now that we're here, where we have Mike, who speaks the language that I'm just now learning, um, you have made some rapid development. Um, you you've pushed you pushed what I thought was going to be out in a month, where the the complete UI, the um, hard population system. And all that type of things. You basically organized that within like a week, maybe two. I think it was maybe two because I, I want to say halfway through the first week, you had some personal business to take care of, and then a week or so of lo of you not having as much time, and then a week after that, you came out with what I'm talking about, which is essentially a game UI that is functioning. A card population system that is functioning and a hand population system that is functioning, which is essentially most of a game when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to lie. Probably after the first meeting, I took one of my empty notebooks and I was like, you know, I'm just going to use a few blank pages in this notebook just to think about some of the things I have in my brain after our discussion, because basically for my for the listeners, uh, I eat, sleep, and breathe code, basically. Um, I don't just code, but I eat, sleep, and breathe it pretty much. Yeah, you, you told me that code is basically another language for you at this point. Yeah, C-sharp especially is basically my second language. Uh, it might even be my first language because sometimes I don't English very well. Yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so after we got off the phone with after that first meeting, uh, because you had told me so much about it and I had gotten to, to read the rule book and kind of hear what your vision was, you know, the gears were already turning. And when the gears are turning, it's hard not to open up a notebook and write it down. Exactly. 
we, we can actually we can actually talk about something really quick. Um, yeah. So with Mike, my job changes considerably. Um, the the main hat that I wear at this time is spokesperson for the company, otherwise known as a CEO. I also control the direction that the company is taking, things like that. But my passion and what I want to do in the future and forevermore is design the games that Collision Gate makes. Um, whether I just do the rudimentary designs and come up with the concepts in the future because I'm busy doing other things, I don't know. But as of right now, um, with Mike being involved, I get to take a huge sigh of relief. And if worse comes to worse, I just jump on with Mike, learn the things that he needs to learn, or he needs me to learn, and I help complete the project in a timely manner. But with the pro- with the speed that he's been moving, genuinely, I'm I'm just marketing the game to people, waiting on materials to help me do that, and getting this physical side of things on shelves until we get to or in the position to be on shelves until we get to a better position overall. So right now. Yeah. I actually have started designing a new game um, that it will take place using the existing characters that we already have, um, but it will be it'll be a very different game. And if you are a huge fan of one particular gaming company who has made a card game and has made a game similar to what I'm about to design, you may see where I'm trying to go as a game designer and as a company. And if you do, my kudos to you, my friend, because you are another person who's probably after my own heart. But anyways, so yes, um, that's very exciting for me. It's not something that it's occupying like 1% of my um, mind space. But the reason I mention all of those, all those things is after we had our conversation where I asked you like, How's the timeline going? How do you feel about th- how things are going? Am I moving at the right at a good pace to get you the resources that you need? Once we had that kind of conversation, and you you basically said, "No, we're we're moving, if not exactly on pace, if a little ahead." Um, I was, I had this, I've had this game floating in my head for years. No, I would say a year. Yeah, a year at this point. Um, and now I just. I had to get my own notebook and uh, yep. I wrote down so I wrote down five or six different pages in one night. And from now, instead of playing video games for fun, I'm back to designing video games for fun in my free time while working on collision gate as my job, which is the best. It is truly is, the best. Yeah. Um, that is work life balance. Like that is when, when te- what is technically your other job is your fun is always the best. Cause I mean, as, as much as I love talking about collision gate and, and pitching it to people and explaining how it works and showing people what we have, it is exhausting because I, I'm not an extra, as much as I might come off as an extrovert, I, I'm not, I'm an, I'm an ambivert. Um, I get drained very quickly in social situations, especially in ones where I am the center of attention. Um, and that's basically what this job is. I love this job. I love, talking about my game i love talking about our game i should say um but designing is my passion designing and writing and building worlds for people to explore and get the same type of emotional payoff and build up that i felt in my youth playing games like fallout new vegas or 
um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duels of the Roses, or the, uh, I'm sorry, um, well, I almost called it, I almost called it, um, the Legend of, or the, the Legend of Skyrim Morrowind. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sorry. Uh, the, the, the Elder Scrolls Morrowind. Probably the first game that really showed me that, hey, games are not designed to hold your hand. Games right. are designed to make you feel and think and learn. And then Dark Souls, obviously. Um, yeah. I've talked about this gotcha. several times, but Dark Souls, Dark Souls 1 is one of my favorite games of all time. And um, Bloodborne is probably my favorite game of all time. Elden Ring will probably uh, take that place, but I don't have as much time to play that game as it is needed. And I got stuck fighting a boss that I can't beat right now. So uh, I've taken, taken a there. long break from that game uh, to get some more work done, I should say. Um, but yeah, I mean, with you on the team, things really change for not only the speed at which we can produce our product, because now we can essentially, instead of dividing my attention between the digital and physical side of things, I can make sure that the digital side of things are good because you can make sure that they're good. Any questions that you have, you come to me with multiple solutions already, which is excellent. And then when it comes to the crypto side of things, I can begin putting in research for how things might have changed since the last time I wanted to do this because everyone knows crypto, crypto is different today than it was yesterday, and it will be different tomorrow than it is today. Crypto changes yep. so rapidly. Um, what's the best technology and what's the worst technology? changes more quickly than you would expect um but i do i do still have a plan i several people know about the plan on that type of things so now it's more of a marketing stage which that we've been in for the last month and i can really hit the accelerator on that now because i have physical cards on the way i have enough images to show the design of our game overall I have a digital game, essentially, because we can make it, at this point, you and I have talked about, we can make it look like it's working just fine yep. now and show people the, the vision, but we're, we're trying to take it much, much further than that um, to where people can genuinely sit down and play the game and enjoy it against another person. And yep. with all of that said, I would say that we're doing a great job, especially for a team that was built within the last year who's working on their first major project that we plan on making a long-term project. I believe we've planted the seeds that we need to and are just at a point where we build the fan base that makes that seed grow. Yep. And I'm with you on that one. Exactly. And exactly. And many people know that in the event that collision gate doesn't work, we, we have plenty of other things that I would like to do. Collision gate is just our first attempt. I would like to have a successful first launch and have everything go not only according to plan but also according to the oh no flies are always in my house i hate florida man that's the one thing i hate about about this state they yep. are constantly able to bypass my doors and my screen doors and my glass doors and get inside my home 
they teleport inside those and mosquitoes yeah Yeah, mosquitoes mosquitoes can quantum tunnel i i can i fully believe that they can turn it off and on and they do it to mess with us uh yeah (laughs) that is a proven fact if you live in florida you know what we're talking about yeah if you've lived in florida it, it is proven that mosquitoes can travel through walls and that flies um spontaneously exist anywhere like I, I grew up in a house that was genuinely pretty cold our our house is genuinely pretty cold they shouldn't even be able to survive right they should die in here but they don't um but yeah i mean you you are essentially my pixar and i'm and i'm the disney it Aww. obviously not that grand of a scale people I'm, i don't have that big of an ego i can still fit through a door um my head is definitely inflating a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I uh, I do enjoy I do enjoy inflating your guys' egos when it's deserved. And so far, you guys have all done nothing but amazing work. Um, genuinely, Thank like we, I think. I mean, I don't know every other gaming company on the planet, but I would say when it comes to indie startups, I think we have probably one of the most solid teams that I can think of. Um, we put we've I've managed to put together a very diverse, educated, and passionate group of individuals who want this to work for their own personal reasons and for their own passion for this particular project. Um, And that's impossible to find, in all honesty. It's, It's been quite a journey getting here, and it's been worth every second of it, especially now that we have what could almost be a completed prototype is what I could, what I'd say because in our prototype I don't plan on revealing every image because right. I'm not I'm not going to waste income from the company in the event that we find out that the interest for this game is not as high as we need it to be in order to make this successful which is the whole point of an introductory kickstarter and a um marketing style tournament here in the local area I need to make sure that the interest is there so we don't waste funds and we can move on to the next thing because we chose a game that was a niche to start off and if it's not good enough to firmly plant its place within that niche it's it's not worth sinking more funds into until we have those funds to just sink into it and make it the most amazing game that we possibly can visually speaking because I don't think I don't think there's much criticism for the mechanics of the game at this point. I've gotten a few opinions, and the majority of them, I simply explained why things worked that way, and people were pretty much nodding along as I was getting to that point. Because a lot of the things within the game are designed based on, does it make sense? Is it, yep. is it intuitively real to the player? And I think majority of our mechanics are that they they make perfect sense. You can understand them pretty much. If you read an ability, you can kind of guess what it's going to do. Like, yeah. especially if you if you've played a card game before. If you sit down and play Collision Gate with it with Yu Gi Oh under your belt, or Magic the Gathering under your belt, or Pokemon under your belt, you will understand after a game or two. If you have never played a game that is designed this way 
then you'll yeah. probably get it within three or four. And you'll still have fun either way. And from now, all right, audience, please don't shoot me too hard, but I actually have not sat down to play a game of Collision Gate yet. And that's just I've distance, guys. Book. It's just distance. Yeah, and that distance is actually, if I map it, it's probably 45 minutes, but you know how that goes. Yeah, I mean, um, for those that don't, I know you have, you have follow quote unquote followers. I, I don't like that. The, that's the term they used for social media back in the day. They should have picked a different word. But anyways, you have yeah. like followers and fans and they know that you're basically self-employed when it comes to a developer and a programmer. So you're doing the, you're doing the self-employment hustle. So um, it is, it is hard yeah. sometimes to organize with you when it comes to a sit down and it's going to, and it's, been difficult to set up a time where we can meet in person but it's more or less been like do i want to ask you to divert time when you could be working on this and you and i can accomplish this over a video call or a audio call kind of thing but you're yeah. right i do want you to sit down and play the game um yeah but from but the reason why i brought that up is is because from what you've told me and from what i've read in the rule book and have read on you know, some of the cards abilities and whatnot it the games don't take up a huge chunk of of time either no no um <clears throat> that's the whole point of the of the life point count um because that was something that took me a long time to settle on uh i wanted to do a round number either way i, I was hoping for a thousand um but with it being 1000 life points and the 30 card exact it it essentially allows you to play a game from the eight archetypes that I've invented in five to eight turns on average, which I think is the perfect length for a competitive card game. However, you can get super lucky, obviously, it's a card game, or you can yep. get super unlucky. And the games can go on for longer than that. But the whole thing about this game is it's designed to where even if you are unlucky, as long as your deck is designed well, you're really not. You just didn't get as lucky as your opponent. Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah that's the, another. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that's another thing that when you when you explained these things to me on that first call, that's another thing that really kind of won me over with the project too. It, yeah, it's designed to be. It's designed to be five to eight turn. I like that that structure. I want to keep it that way, and in order to do that, you basically just buff things over and over again, which is kind, of, which will eventually lead me to my personal philosophy for a game like this. Every single archetype should be playable and feel overpowered on paper. Yeah, but I since like that. yeah, I think that's how games should be designed. I think you and I were talking about this the other day. Um, no, I was talking to a friend of mine about this actually. Um, he was saying he basically wants a game where Every single person feels overpowered, but that's why it's not. And games like that do exist, and they're, they're not actually that common, I would say. But right. they exist, and I think that Collision Gate lends itself to that eventually. Um, I designed it to where all of them are balanced, and then I got two people involved who really understand game balance, and they took a look at it, and they said, yeah, I, these are... These are my notes, but it is balanced. Um, 
And so from going from there, I want to take the, the Magic the Gathering philosophy of, oh, it's been a while since we've taken a look at our old cards. Let's reinvent them. Let's redesign them. Let's give them an updated look. Let's give them an updated ability and, yeah. redo, and just redo everything. Because I, I've mentioned before, I have 24 archetypes planned. 24 is yep. a lot when you really that think about lot. it. Um, I have eight ready to go. I have eight more that I just need to sit down for probably a day each to create the cards and then move them on to balancing. And then we would have another set of archetypes ready to go. I would like to do eight yes. a year, two every three months um, from now until forever, up until we either need more or less based on the demand for things. Um, that being said, though, after I do those 24, I would want to go back and revisit because there's no point in oversaturating a market of card game players with cards that they might not use, especially with the way that I designed this game and the way that this game philosophy will work. Everything will be viable. If it's not currently viable, I'm going to get, get to it. Like the balancing team's going to get to it and it's going to prop it back up. If something's overpowered, the balancing team's going to get to it and they're going to figure out how to get it down to where it needs to be. Yep. I, I want to take a MOBA approach to a trading card game. I want to take the idea of we, th we throw it through so many different balancing stages before we even get it to market that it should theoretically be completely balanced. But in the event that we're wrong, we're, we're going to turn that old card that's not balanced into a collector's item and release a version of it that is balanced, and that collector's item will play as the new version. So that way, everyone wins. I want everyone to win, because that's the philosophy that I think is possible these days. You create a beautiful product. People that want to buy it do. They spend as much money as they want and can. And then that perpetuates your, your wheel, essentially. You, you make something that, is, that someone wants to buy, not just something that you can trick them into believing is worth buying. Right. And I personally would throw a lot of fucking money at this game. Like, it's very good. If what, if what I'm saying is true, and I know that it's true because I'm saying it, then my investment now, it can pay off several times over in the future, not only from a fun perspective, but also from an investment perspective. Um, only a little bit of research shows you the type of potential that things can reach. I'm not saying we're going to have $40,000 Black Lotuses, but I am saying that some uh, NFTs that really aren't worth it manage to be worth millions of dollars. And I'm, we are trying to do a combination of those things for that reason exactly. I don't plan on making millions of dollars off of my NFT releases. I plan on making enough money to pay my artists a very comfortable wage, make a profit, and move that profit into the development of the next thing. The money that is going to be made off of these expensive items, that's going to be consumer profit. I don't care to be a billionaire game design company. Or uh, sorry, a billion dollar game design. Um, I want to be a really good game design company where every single member of my team 
as adequate vacation and, and works passionately as much as they can. Yeah, that's, that's... I, I totally agree with you there. And the passion part of it is so important. Yeah. Because when you cross a threshold, I mean, you start getting enough employees that they all become numbers. Exactly. Exactly. That's one thing um, I've, I've stated pretty boldly that I want us to be AAA comparable in 10 years. That's my goal. I would like to do it in less time if possible. I would like to do it as quickly as possible. But in 10 years, I would like people to be looking at our games and comparing them to AAA titles. I'm not saying that I want to be a AAA team because what a AAA team means is that there's essentially another company over them that funds yep. them. That way they can hire as many people as possible that are as skilled as possible to create the best possible product. I don't know if and, that's literally what AAA means. I, I know that's colloquially what AAA means, and I don't want that. I never want that. I want to have as few programmers as possible. I want to have as few artists as possible. I want to have as few designers as possible. And it's not a, I want to hold on to my project and my baby and make sure that it's good. I think if you asked anyone on the team, they would tell you that I am very, very open to criticism. Um, what, right. My point for doing this is because I want a team that are family. And I know that that can be dangerous. And I know that that has different um, implications for different people. But when I say that I want my team to be a family, I mean that I find out that Mike got thrown out of his house because of a health inspection when he had black mold because of his, the person who owns his property is a piece of shit. He can come stay at my place. Like, oh yeah, yeah. you can come stay at my place. You don't have to stay at the I, office. Like, you don't have to go stay with your parents. Versa. Yeah, or vice versa. I want a, hey guys, you want to sit down and play like a game of Collision Gate? You want to sit down and play a game of, of Minecraft? Do you want, do you want to, like, do you want to do something? Like, do you want to hang out? go have dinner or something i want that and i yeah. don't want that because i'm lonely and i want friends or anything i want that because it works that creates right. beautiful pieces of work i oh sorry no go ahead um, go ahead i was just gonna say uh the the traditionally in business you know being seen as a family is traditionally not a good thing but when you're talking about something artistic and creative and something like a game where you kind of need to be tight-knit like that you know this is the workspace has changed so drastically since covid too that you kind of almost want a tight-knit family for a game development team exactly no i completely agree with you um yeah i, I don't i don't make statements like this without some level of research um and and how i basically describe it to people that i know prof on a professional level that have critiqued me is it took a stressed out team 10 years to make fallout 4 quote unquote they had right. three thousand people they all worked 40 hours a week for 10 years and they made that game CD Projekt Red has a team of 100,000, theoretically, because they have so many other companies that they work with. 
It took uh. them three years to make The Witcher 2. Before that, it took them five years to make The Witcher 3 after they had that. The Witcher 2 and The Witcher 3 are comparable. You can sit down and play one and compare it to the next. They are the same idea. However, CD Projekt Red also made Cyberpunk 2077 with a team of theoretically 100,000 over the course of seven years. So how many people you have access to doesn't matter at all because you can create something that is truly beautiful. Don't get me wrong. If you're stressed and you have enough people. But Valheim has four developers. Valheim is nearly as put together now, two year, or 18 months after, after uh, early access, as Minecraft. Yep. Yep, I played Valheim. It's a little slow on my computer, but man, that is, it's impressive it's what very, such small companies can do these days. Yes, what a small team of truly dedicated people can do. And if you're looking for another example, Facebook. Yep. Facebook does not have as many employees as you think they do. And not only that, but Facebook was created with, from what I understand, just Zuckerberg. It was Zuckerberg and his and two of his uh, friends, and then the. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I know that. Um. I know that the social network is fairly accurate because it was made. It was made from people who did not like Zuckerberg anymore, but weren't like shitting on him. Being right. interviewed essentially. And then Zuckerberg, I could be completely wrong on this. My research on this could be completely fucking off the handle, by the way. Um, And Zuckerberg apparently heard about it, found out how much of a douchebag he was portrayed as, and still said that it was fairly accurate and that he didn't have many complaints. That's, yeah. You know, as much as we make fun of him for being a lizard man and everything, that's a pretty honest way to take criticism. Yeah, I mean, he, he knows that he's not a nice person he's a ceo of a massive tech company he's in charge of i believe like directly in charge of a team of 30 people who are all experts in their field (laughs) yeah you kind of have to you kind of have to be egotistical to be that i mean look at jeff bezos jeff bezos is much as he parties and has a good time i'm sure that man when he sits down for meetings is a force to be reckoned with yeah absolutely elon probably another one like because you see elon as as this like goofy, I make jokes and like I'm kind of awkward type person, but you have to remember he runs Tesla. Yeah, he got there somehow, and he didn't yeah. get there by just you know killing. I mean, yeah, he had some help from his uh, father's emerald mines or whatever, but I mean, it's not just money that will make a company like that. From what I understand, he's not a I had a small loan of a million dollars kid though. From what I understand, okay. he was basically. For the first project that he did, he had no help from his okay. family because um, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Elon, but I'm not like a super fan of Elon. I like, I like looking at the stuff that he's doing. But from what I re- think is true, he basically started working on the, the predecessor of PayPal. And his dad was like, this isn't going to work. Or maybe it was his mom. I don't know. Um, somebody said it was like, this isn't going to work. So he did it anyways. And then yep. it slowly led to what PayPal was. Because from what I understand, he didn't invent PayPal. He didn't even code PayPal. 
he essentially reorganized the structure that PayPal was, reinvented the idea, and then put it out to market as the CEO. That's the main thing that Elon does well. Is he a genius? Absolutely. He's a rocket engineer and he's self-taught. That's all you need to know. But he's not the type of genius that he portrays himself as, I think. Because he's the... Um, I would say he's like a logician, meaning that he, he enjoys, genuinely enjoys um, being challenged while also being in charge. Because, I mean, uh, yeah, maybe I'm rambling a little too much. And if you think so, Brandon, please, I'm going to write this timestamp down so that way he can check it out. Because um, <laughs> he's an interesting guy. Like, I think, of, I think about Elon probably a little bit more than I should. Because he makes me question what is possible. Because whether or not you think of him as a genius, which it is a, he objectively is, unfortunately, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm not a fan of him as a person. I'm a fan of his work. Okay? Yeah. So I like his public persona quite a bit because I kind of dissect it a little bit. Because I don't post on social media because I don't have anything to say, pretty much. Even though I do have this huge project and all this other stuff going on that I could talk about. Um, I'm not the type to, to say things for attention. I'm more of the type to get my point across to people that I want to hear it and for them to accept or deny it as they see fit. While Elon is very good at getting attention, which is what has made him the person that he is. Yeah, he's kind of like the mastermind of social media at this point. Like, he can get anyone's attention. Exactly, exactly. And he, he owns Twitter now. He, yes. He legitimately yes. owned it, in my opinion, before that. Because he essentially was above the rules of Twitter several times over. Because yeah. I've said multiple times that Elon should not be judged or how he chooses to market cryptocurrencies that he prefers on social media. Because if it was a guy like me in their room doing the same thing, no one would fucking care. Yeah. And I do not no believe... No one would Exactly. Exactly. And I do not believe that Elon should be held to a different standard when it comes to giving out advice that he would say is not legal advice. And if you read the majority of his controversial tweets they have not been legal advice he's literally been like hey this is happening i'm buying it moving on that's not legal yeah. advice. he didn't tell you to go buy dogecoin he's told people to go buy dogecoin but he's also said i probably shouldn't have done that people make mistakes people make a lot of mistakes elon's just a person but what he represents is the ability to get across an idea through several different methods that are one pretty controversial in a good way and two eye-opening because he he has challenged people on several different levels in ridiculous ways without consequence and i kind of think of him sorry if this triggers people and i mean that from a psychological perspective not from a colloquial perspective 
He's kind of like a, um, a less shitty Donald Trump. Where... Yeah, I see what you mean with that. Yeah, like where Donald Trump has done some objectively very terrible things. I personally have never read of Elon doing objectively terrible things. I mean, he's done some, some shady things in the past. Uh, you, you can come down the stairs, babe. Um, but he's, he's not a terrible person. And he does do the, the ridiculousness, though. But it works. It works for him, and it, it hasn't hurt anybody that I'm aware of. If it has, I'm sorry. I, I, did, I wasn't aware of you being hurt, and genuinely, I'm sorry. But he's just doing his thing. Like, he, he doesn't lie about who he is. He's very straightforward. Like, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. Either get on board or get out of my way. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, personally, I, I think that's a great way to be a CEO, is to just be like, this is what I want to do. You either agree with me or you disagree with me. And if you have power over me, well, I guess I'm wrong. And if you don't have power over me, well, I guess you're wrong. Yep. Yeah. So uh, as far as Elon versus Trump, I mean, I know which one I'd rather have. <laughs> I mean, true, true. I'm, the number of people that were like, elect Elon for president, he can't. Oh, no, that's rough anyway. Yeah, he wasn't born here anyway, right? Yeah, he was born in South Africa. South Africa. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So and, he can't. Uh, he can't be president. And even if he could, I don't think he would be very good at it. No, um, I don't think so either. Elon isn't personable enough. He's he's too. He's too logical. And as much as people like to think, like, oh well, if you take a, like Democrat CEO and you put them in charge of America, it'll do this, this, and that. That'll increase our economy. Not uh, really. <laughs> Not really. You can't run a country like you do a company. Uh, I mean, no. I've never ran a country. I've never run a large company, but I'm pretty certain they're not the same. Um, that, that if you can, just very loosely, that if you can uh, run a company, you can run the country. That, or that argument that or we need a businessman to run this country because they'll do X, Y, and Z for us in our economy we've just proven that false with this last four-year tenure before biden uh, yeah um yeah and I mean, not yeah. only that running a business is in my opinion so much different from a country running a business is so much different from running like a church and yeah. I, th I would honestly say that a church is probably closer to a, a country because i believe that one influenced the other Yep. At their conception, I'm pretty sure that some religious gathering of some sort is the direct inspiration for human communion in a organized sense known as government. If that makes any sense. I'm basically saying that religion led to government because it's essentially what religion is, but on a personal scale. And you know, like I can. I can agree with that because when you put it like that, it almost makes sense as to why the separation of church and state clause was put into the constitution. Oh, that makes me want to talk about something that's super controversial here in America, right now, <laughs> but let's, let's, yeah. uh, let's not, let, let's not. I think we already got a little bit too, too political <laughs> already. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, neither uh, of us have stated our personal views on that person. We just talked about how they do their thing. Yeah, we're just kind of talking about so, I mean, We're still here, pretty so. neutral, okay? Yep. We should be safe. <laughs> should be. Should be. Um, something that we're not safe about, Todd Howard. Uh, you're never safe from Todd Howard. Currently, he is trying to invade your Samsung fridge. Great. He's Great. in your Skyrim Alexa. on it. He's on your Samsung smart fridge, your Alexa, and all other forms of TVs that you can find. But you know, Skyrim on a fridge, I kind of want to try that. Because those smart fridges, they've got decent displays in them. They've got to have a decent processor behind them. Um, I think, yeah, I think it'd actually be pretty good. Uh, but I would rather do a, um, like a text adventure game on my fridge. Like, right. it, in order to... In order to play, like you, you just log in as you, and based on like a certain amount of time has passed, you get questions queued up, and it creates a game for you, and then um, you can do something while you're like getting shit out of your fridge, because you can just read real quick. Oh, okay, I was attacked by a werebear. Okay, well I'm gonna shoot the werebear with my silver crossbow, and then and then they're like, okay, well we'll you'll have an answer to what happened tomorrow or whatever. I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. Or like every two hours or something like yeah. that. Whenever you go to get the fridge, okay, now you get your update on your game state. Exactly, exactly. Um, and that was directly inspired by this turn-based, or this, um, this time-based game that I played. I want to say I was 15. It was, on, it was one of those early iOS games, I would say. But how it worked hmm. is you would, it was a text-based adventure game where you would make a decision and some of your decisions would take literal time because you were communicating with an astronaut and they were doing the things that you told them to do. So it would take actual time for it to happen. So there's this one decision where you have to find out where the astronaut's going to sleep. So you recommend that he sleeps on, um, away from this like jet engine thing. And he's like, okay, I'll contact you again in eight hours. So I waited hours and I never heard back from him. He died. That shit fucking blew my mind. I was like, so sad. I know. Right. I was, I legitimately was like starting to get attached to the character because like I'd been helping him. Like I was telling him where he needed to go and like what he had to do. I was like John Connor from the second matrix movie or (laughs) oh my God. I'm going to get crucified. I was like John Connor from T2 at the end. I, I was in charge. I told them what to do. Or was that three? That was Judgment Day. It was, it was Judgment Day. Yeah, that was Judgment Day. It was two. Um, yeah. Was, so, it, was it called Lifeline? Yes. Yes, that's what it was. Okay. That game, that game blew my mind the first time I played it because it, it felt like I was legitimately talking to an astronaut even though I knew, like I had my, my suspension of disbelief. Of course, I'm not actually talking to an astronaut. But it felt authentic to the point where every time I would make a decision, I would legitimately sit down and think, like, what is the safest thing for this guy? And it's just great. It's just I feel like that's that's the best type of game because you look at the screenshots and you don't think much of it. Yeah. But when you actually play it, it engages you in such a way that it, it makes you feel like you're in this world and that you need to make decisions within this world's kind of limitations or 
whatever capabilities you have in this world. Yeah, I yeah I completely agree. Um, which about to which, get some insight to some some future future things. That's how I want to do um, Collision Gates story because you're playing a game that I want you to play it as much as possible, as frequently as possible. So you make decisions within the game and those decisions are automated. So you, you have your, I'm going to play collision gate, have a good time. You have your, I'm going to play competitively against other players, have a good time. But then you also have a little dungeon crawler type simulation game that's played on the side where you have randomly generated scenarios that you're put up against that you have to use the things that you have access to right then and there to try and overcome. And how I want that to work is, is exactly the type of time-based mechanic that Lifeline took advantage of. You are doing, you're controlling this fantasy character within this fantasy world, and you tell them what they are doing at a particular time, and then you have to wait for the response to see what happened. Right. It's uh, almost Sims inspired in a way, but like real time Sims. Sims. Yes. Um, Real time Sims, but but influenced by the Dungeons and Dragons style of fantasy top-down isometric gameplay so have you played inscription no i have not actually so how inscription works is it randomly generates well this is the long form form of inscription i don't know how the actual inscription card game works 100 percent. but the um the infinite inscription where you can just keep playing forever it um generates paths for you to take based on parameters and then you simply make your decisions and your, your game state updates over and over and over and over again. Something kind of like that, where the map is generated and you have these different paths and the different paths that you go on cause different things to happen within the game. And then yeah. the characters that you're controlling become more or less powerful and they can be traded off and stuff like that. It's, it'd be very inscription inspired. It would feel, it'd feel very reminiscent of that game. Uh, I just looked up, I had to look up pictures and everything and see how much it was on Steam. I've seen videos of this game and I've been thinking to myself, man, I wish somebody would say what the name of this game is. Inscription. And now um, I know the name of it. Um, Markiplier's playthrough, if you don't want to drop the money on it right now, I do think it's worth the money, by the way. Um, his playthrough is really, really good. Um, he got obsessed with the game halfway through and it was awesome. He, nice. he, he's really, he really into it. Um, and but yeah, it basically inspired how I want to do our adventure mode because I don't think that a competitive trading card game alone has the standing power to generate a 10 year fan base. And you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, Magic's Gathering, blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. Magic the Gathering isn't a trading card game. Magic the Gathering is an idea that transcends past being a trading card game to the player. There are books. There are, uh, I want to say that there are short cartoons at this point. I'm actually not sure, but I'm sure there are. Um, 
there there are stories written for Dungeons and Dragons that incorporate the Magic the Gathering characters and vice versa. Like Magic the Gathering is beautiful and huge and great, but it's more than a card game. And Yu-Gi-Oh, it's direct competitor, and Pokemon, it's kind of direct competitor. Prove my point exactly. Magic the yeah. Gathering is the only one of those three major card games that did not get an anime. Why? It's not because it's Japanese. It's not, it's not because Yu-Gi-Oh is Japanese and Pokemon's Japanese and Magic the Gathering isn't. We had Dungeons and Dragons cartoons. It's not because of the company that owns it. It's because the player base. The player base, I don't think, would care. I think they would think it was cool and they'd probably watch it, but I don't think that they would have the type of connection that you're looking for. While a game like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon, you can become attached to those cards because of Ash Ketchum or because of Yu-Gi-Oh! Moto or Yusei Fudo, whoever it is that you're currently a fan of, you attach to that person and that person becomes your lens that you you view the world through and that's how i want to do this is giving some giving someone the card game as the necessity having the card game is the necessity the other things are nice cherries on top that are worth the price of admission alone does that make sense absolutely absolutely it makes sense it's about that time I have to, to let you go. I have another meeting after this podcast. Today is a busy day for me. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear you're having a, a busy day because I busy love day. having busy days myself. Yes, busy days are, are super great right now because that means that things are moving very quickly and things are moving very, very directly. So, yes, yeah. with, all, with everything that we said today, guys, hopefully you didn't care about our, um, our Elon rant or our comparison to that other guy um, whether you feel positively or negatively i don't care you don't know how I, you may think you know how i feel right now but i'm telling you you're probably wrong but anyways nice. um, so it is great to have you on the team mike it's great to go on these long tangent conversations after we get through the, the major things with you you're a very passionate human being and it's great to, to work with you and uh ditto to you too you know thank you for having me on the team i'm happy to be a part of the team and most importantly it's not just being a part of the team it's being a part of a team of people who's as passionate about making video games as i am yes exactly we, uh, yes each one of us is is passionate about games um yeah our our music guy has always wanted to work on video games. Brandon has always played video games and enjoys them and has said that he wants to work on them but doesn't know how. Like every everyone on the team is very passionate about how video games make them feel and how video games are enjoyed and what they believe to be good and bad about video games. And that has produced this that we have here and is going to produce the incredible pieces that we're going to produce later. I'm I'm really excited. With all that said, I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording. I hope to see you guys on the next episode, and Mike will be back on the channel very soon with some devlogs, as well as be back on the podcast 
pretty quickly too. Talk to you guys later. Bye.